open our time together in prayer this morning. Father God, we just love you so much. And Father, we are uh, just so humbled by your complete grace and gracefulness to us. Father, your generosity. Uh, Father, your mercy. And Lord, we, uh, most of all, I'm uh, just so humbled that, Father, we can just be in prayer to you. Father, just lift up uh, praises and adoration unto you. Father, as your children, that we can call you, Father. And I just pray uh, today, even as uh, for your spirit, that will just guide us in this discussion. And Lord, it just at the core of what we're talking about today, Father, there is just uh, this call for humbleness and submission. And Father, we can hope that we can glean from it even today to the importance of uh, this call you have for each of us. So I pray now as we so... Uh, just in great gratitude, can open your word together in the fellowship of it um, as a, some, your believers um, in you. And Father, that you would be honored and glorified to our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4 is how I'd like to start today, which just, and I'm going to read it so you don't have to go there yet. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, If there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. In that passage, as we continue with this, it's the core of this is submission. And we're going to dig in deeper to this. And as we have been now of three weeks into this submission as our civic responsibility, our objective remains the same, that we would give honor to those in authority, that God would grant us the ability to obey Peter's instructions, both in spirit and in truth, to, to the glory of God, and for our ultimate good. This topic of submission has, I think Mark and I would both agree, as well as all any commentators agree, that this topic and the subject of submission is vitally important and one of the most important aspects of the Christian life. And what we wanted, to, we did over the last week is to really take a little bit more work to have some reflective uh, focus on submission. But as we looked at our passage um, in 1 Peter chapter 2, 13 to 17, is that we've looked at throughout this study is that in the first sections, verses 13 and 14, is that we saw submission the, initially with this command for submission which says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. That in itself, for the Lord's sake, is, is our motive for submission. Whether to, uh, to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. The extent of our submission is to, as it says, to every, every governor, every one sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, our extent of submission. Today we're going to pick this back up, with starting in verse 15, 16, and 17, where it focuses on our reason for submission, our attitude of submission, and then application of our submission. 
So as we further reflect on submission, and in that passage that I read, Philippians 2, 1 to 4, submission is the key to unity and harmony in human relationship. In the Godhead, in the church, in your marriage, in any relationship, would you not agree that submission is essentially the basis for unity in all relationships? Starting with God, down to the church, marriage, relationships, the basis for all unity. Now, last week we had looked at a few passages in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel that have focused on Satan and his abuse of power and position, if you remember. And what our conclusion was is that what we saw in those passages was is that he, his acting in itself was independent of God. And as we talked about this, Satan's fall and his ongoing rebellion is a manifestation of his refusal to submit. It was not in subjection to God. Likewise, as we see even within Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, he tempted Christ for the very purpose of trying to get Christ to become independent of God. Submission is at the core of man's relationship with God. Now, I want to take as we a tangent of this is to kind of kind of look at this. Submission is at the core of man's relationship with God. If you could turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. And in Matthew 21, what Jesus was representing here is that the sin of Israel's literally the religious leaders was the sin of insubmission. In other words, not being submissive. Now, if you just take, for example, starting, let's say you take a, uh, by questioning, going back up to verse 23 of 21. Now, when he, had came, he came into the temple, Jesus, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Do you see right there the fact that these leaders themselves were in I quote, as in one word here, quote, you follow me, in submission? They were not being submissive to Christ. They were challenging that. They challenged him in his authority consistently. Verse 23. Now, they refused to submit to him and literally were mocking him. Now, just slide over to same, go over to the next chapter. Um, no, excuse me, a few more verses over, starting like in verse 33. The parable of the landowners, right? You, if you look there, what is, what is it about in this context? What do you, how can you tie that parable? What is he teaching there? What's calling out? What's essentially happening there? Right. And what they did is they responded. They beat him. They killed him. They stoned. In other words, there was a constant rebellion against, again, the authorities. Do you see the lines of authority that were there every single time? And so there was this refusal to submit all the way to the Son, Christ. So what we're looking at is, like with Matthew, the whole chapter of 21, is Jesus calling out the fact that they were not submissive at all. So, <laughs> the stone which the builders rejected. Absolutely. Submission, and one of the other things we talked about last week, when we said this, it is at the man's relationship with God. You remember we, a question we talked about last week is that is, 
is submission an important part of discipleship? Absolutely. In fact, is this not what he is teaching there? In other words, it is not only did he call us to believe, but he also called us to follow, which is the act of submission. It's everything. Because, and that really just leads, it segues Mark perfectly in that question into this, because what that to me is at the core of what is the, the defined difference between submission from a worldly or we'll call it a secular perspective opposed to that which is biblical. Now, when we, we go through some of this, and I won't go through every single verse, I'll just pick out a few, what you will see is that relationship defined clearly in other ways with respect to dependence upon self as opposed to dependence upon God. So let's, let's just break this down and start going through the first one. And these we've kind of done from the standpoint of when you think of a worldly or secular submission, think, um, don't think biblically in your response, think very practically in what you see being lived out. So the first one is that it's limited as, uh, limited as men can make it. In other words, it is a status. So, it is the, our goal, in a, from a secular, not our, okay, um, it is our, the worldly perspective, is that we want to be able to say that we have very few people that we are under. But we want to have as many people <laughs> under us. Agreed? That's exactly what it is. That is about status. See? The closer I get to the boss over here. Okay, Herb's the boss. You know what? Hey, I'm the number two guy right here. So, going back to Mark's question is where is the humility? Okay, now, in these passages that we see in here, and you can just recognize some of these passages here, the one we're looking at in 1 Peter 2, 13 and 17, but even Ephesians 5, 21 and 20, 22. In other words, what it is here, it is... A hum- it is a type of submission that is broad, totally pr- broad from the standpoint of it being a total mankind. We don't, there is no self-worth in this perspective of biblical submission. Now, the, the one passage that I do want to look at is Mark 9:33 to 37, okay? Of those, you're familiar with the Ephesians five. That's the this is a this major section of Paul's uh, epistle on submission, and that we see same thing in six one in First Peter. So let's let's just read Mark nine thirty three to thirty seven. If someone could read that, that would be a good start. Morning, George. Yes, them. What were but they kept silent for all the way they had argued with one another about who was sat down and called first. He must be last of all and servant of all. They took a child and put him in the middle. Whoever receives, whoever receives me. Mary, go over a chapter if you could and just read 45 of 10. Chapter 10, just read that out loud. And I want to tie those two together. Chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man... Okay. Jesus' very own disciples were struggling on the fence of biblical submission as attested by Christ. He called it right out. They were concerned with what? The status. They were trying to get right here, and Jesus said, we did not come to be served, but to serve. I mean, he couldn't make it any clearer in that, that follow-up passage. So it's biblical perspective is as broad as mankind. It's not about status. It's about, again, humility that we see um, at the core of it. 
In fact, biblical submission is actually very universal in that if you think about it from a, a perspective of order, well, here might be the order. The order would be is that we are subject to God. Secondly, we are subject to each other. Is what we see clearly in those Ephesians passages 5. What we're going to be hitting on, right, in a couple of few weeks or whenever we get to this passage in 1 Peter, it talks about husbands and wives being mutually subject to each other. And then we see literally in chapter 2, verse 17, where it says, honor all the people. So it's honoring all. But this is what we would essentially look at is what the the call of biblical submission being broad. This is pretty broad. Agree? Second one. Worldly submission. It's compulsive. It's imposed from without. It's legalistic. It is an outward compliance. In other words, it is, I have to do it. I gave you that silly example last week that when I'm driving, did anyone else have uh, do my the, the test on the, on the speed limit this past week like I did last week? You, uh, you, you don't want to hear that part, right? No, but when you have someone driving, learning to drive on a permit and go... She's within the context of government, within the context of civil guidelines, is it not the purpose of that, again, as we see clearly, to punish evildoers and to... And you say, well, I'm not an evildoer, but I do you know, go over the speed limit, but to praise those that are good. So, when I say that it's compulsory, it's imposed, meaning that... I understand what is there because I have to do it. So therefore, I just can go five over because I'm not concerned that I will get a speeding ticket, probably, if I go five over. That is a compulsory type. It is an outward thing. Why? Because I'm doing this because I don't, I don't think I'm going to get punished for it. As opposed to biblical submission is clearly from the heart. In other words, one as I told you last week, I drove at the speed limit as that test from Wisconsin home to just, just to do it because it was from the heart. And yet, I was not concerned about a compulsory act saying I have to do that. This is a primary difference. If you think about how the, when we talked about submission, that's, this is a key reason why people struggle with submission. You mean I have to submit? Right, it, it is from the heart. From the heart. It's motivated by self-interest on the worldly perspective as opposed to, and just using Hebrews 11, 1, 6, it's motivated by faith, hope, and love. And it actually gets into those first few verses of Hebrews 11 that just talks about significance. The result is, it's, it results in self-sacrifice. It's motivated by self-interest as opposed to self-sacrifice. To Mark's question, do you see the commonality that links these? It's all about humility that keeps building off of this. You're going exactly the speed limit. <laughs> yes. I'm like, and your point was they, sh- they should be like, a little bit lower than that. Can't you fight over? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm going to speed limit, I have people like you on the back of my car. <laughs> yeah. like, or what really happens people are going like 10 minutes. It's embarrassing. People are passing us. Like you're on golf road and it's 55 and people are going like 40. It's 55. <laughs> That's why I didn't mention last week, John, but it was so funny was that, so I am driving back the speed limit from Wisconsin and and literally, I didn't think I, I didn't pass anybody. 
like the whole way. Yeah, you were but, Right, right. But, but the funny, funny one was, I'm doing 65 on, on 94, and Jesus passed me going about 75, because that's all I could see in his bumper sticker was that Jesus something, you know. So he blew by me. Jesus has a left foot. Yeah, I think the key words that we're I'm, we're trying to contrast here is is that it's motivated by literally a faith a faith aspect of it unseen, and I'm not it's not the opposite opposite of self and its sacrifice. The fourth one is given to those in authority who expect that we act in a way that benefits them. Okay. We act in a way, this is worldly, given to those in authority who expect that we act in a way that benefits them. In other words, is that I'm the boss, I'm going to tell you what to do, because ultimately I benefit by that. As opposed to, clearly, from a biblical perspective, it is given to him. And Christ literally sets that example overall. The standard for submission, Christ is that model. Ephesians 5 the husband and wife relationship is patterned after what? The relationship of Christ and the church, right? In Ephesians 2, submission we are to imitate Christ's submission. Christ sets that model. First Peter 2, 21 and 25. In fact, Peter says quite a bit about this. It is given to him, Jesus is that model. As opposed to, it is given to somebody. The next one. Well, it, you know, Peter also says that, you know, God is opposed to those. Well, well, actually, the idea is you want to work, you know, like for example, you got to work and it's really hard to. But if you're, I'm serving God, not this fallible person who's. Really yeah, it it really goes back. I mean, Paula, to it, it, you could use the First Peter, two thirteen verse. Therefore, submit, and what's the motive for the Lord's sake? I know the verse you're thinking of. I can't get my handle on it, but but whatever you do, do as unto the Lord. It's in there. I, I'm just going to say one of Paul's epistles. Do as unto the Lord. That was that was really a game changer for me when I like I was being mistreated, mm-hmm. and um, it actually a worldly compliment for doing it after the fact because over that person noticed and they saw because I decided that I wasn't going to do it to this person who was doing the Lord. The Lord, do it unto as unto the Lord. Um, this one we touched on has a similar. Um, a point about the dependence on, on, on God completely. The worldly perspective or worldly submission is minimizes dependence on others and to maximize one's own independence. Literally, this is the objective of Satan. We, we saw that in those other passages. Um, the passage that I will read is Romans 14.7. It says, For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. That if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, we live or die, we are the Lord's. It is dependence, in this case, on others. And there is a complete surrendering of our independence. This is humility. Just like you said, John. I mean, it is opposed to the proud. Proud is self. Humility is selfless. In order to do this, amen to that. <laughs> and then a last perspective on this act we may act the worldly submission may act in the one way authority demands but seldom silently seldom silently P- 
Peter, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I mean, just going back to First Peter and looking ahead into verse chapters two and, and uh, verses eighteen to twenty-five that are coming up, I, I want you to notice. And if you just glance there again, in eighteen to twenty-five, and Mark's going to be getting going on that, is there's a significant emphasis that Peter places on the silence in these verses that it relates specifically to submission. Slaves are going to be urged to be silent. And the example of that is Jesus. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, we're going to have wives are to suffer in silence, actually, as we see in an aspect of it. And he, Peter actually quotes from Psalm 34, again, emphasizing the silence that we have. So it's often evident in the silence which accompanies suffering. And this is the difference between biblical versus worldly. And I think that in our culture today, our culture does not agree with that biblical silence. What do you think? In fact, uh, that in itself, in fact, we are, spo- we are encouraged in this culture to communicate our rights and to stand up for those. It is the opposite of this. And so it's more of a venting, like ventilating that, as opposed to actually silence that is very, very clear in Scripture. So we'll, let's keep building off of this. But, but, th- but I don't think it's wrong if you... Most of the time. In fact, I'm going I'm to call that out. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna, I totally agree with you, John. I don't think John. there's anything wrong with doing that. No, we're, it's, it's, it's really it's the method. And so I think we're, I'm going to touch on that as one example as we get illustrating the fact that our responsibility to hold those in authority accountable for the very things that are legal. Right. <laughs> and also making it righteous. Other people could be suffering because of it too. Like Queen Esther did. And, and we touched on it last week. We'll hit it again this week as far as even like what would be the basis of when we would do that, when we wouldn't do that. How are we going about that? And what is our motive for doing it, I think, is, is key. This is just a, a starting on this. So let's continue going forward with this. Whoa, chose the wrong blue. <laughs> Note to self, lighten the blue. Okay. Uh, sometimes we are submissive to the wrong people. Sometimes we're submissive to the wrong people. And this, again, a reflection on that is misplaced submission. And I, there are, I've listed several passages there, but, but I think, as you can see, some of these are the first John passage, the John, the Romans 2. This is what? Messaging about that the world hates us, that you do not be conformed to the world. But I think an interesting one to look at from an application standpoint is the Proverbs. The Proverbs passage, which is Proverbs chapter 1. Verses 8 to 19. And you don't have to read the whole thing, but really it starts off this way. It is this shunning of evil counsel itself that comes out. It says, My son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, Come with us, let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without, without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol. And it goes on and on from there. But the point is, is that sometimes it's a misplaced submission. Is that who are we following? And again, going back to just some of these general passages that refer specifically to the, war, you know, the wrong system of values and standards of conduct that are frankly 
of the world. And you're, you get drawn into that because, hey, everybody else is doing it. And as believers, is that we are discerning of that. Nevertheless, I mean, peer pressure, regardless of age, and as we just saw, peer pressure dealt with literally our own disciples. Just that in itself can be something that just creeps in. is a very, very powerful force motivated by Satan. That case, you may go back to that worldly one, the first one, as far as ethics goes, not not wanting to stand out. Yeah, we just call it misplaced. It's just misplaced submission, but yet you you get pulled in. But these are just examples of that. The next one is conflicts in submission. Sometimes we are confused about how to submit in a way that pleases God when submission to one another conflicts with another. What about authorities that seek to compel us to act contrary to God's word? This is as simple as anything. The highest authority is God. Period. We must obey God rather than men. In the two examples that were given there, which is in Acts 4 and Acts 5, where Peter and John answered and said to those uh, those who were summoned him, said, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. Now, an important word that's in that passage of Acts 4 was that they commanded them not to speak. The word commanded is critical. It is a direct command to do something against God to them individually. The highest authority is that of God. And keeping that is a very, very simple principle. Now, to build on this is that, so how do you still navigate through that? So, some scriptural examples that I would advance as those are, I'm just going to give you four examples of, the, of civil disobedience are those where obedience to God is directly forbidden by a human command. The first one, and I apologize, it's on your handout, but in the blue here, is Exodus chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. And this one, you don't have to go there, but you're familiar with it. This is... This is back during the time of the Exodus. The Hebrew midwives were commanded by Pharaoh to put to death every male child born among them. Did they do that? They did not. They did not. And I want to share with you, because often sometimes you just you, you glance over this, but Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, says this, By faith... Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. In this situation, they were commended. They were commanded to do something they did not. And actually, 11, Hebrews 11.23 actually commends this as an act of faith. It was a direct command to them individually. They were commanded. Another one is Daniel 3 and Daniel 6. And just by way of review, in Daniel 3, the Babylonian uh, monarch at the time, he makes this golden image, if you remember, and he demands that everyone, everyone at at the appointed time fall down, remember, to worship. And so when the time came for these three faithful servants, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what did they do? They They did not. They did not worship the image of Nebuch. 
and they were commanded to do something. They individually were commanded to do something that God forbids. And that was to worship another God. Okay? Now, stop there at that point. Do you understand that I'm trying to make this emphasis of something that would help me to navigate through examples of when do we disobey? It is when it is I am commanded as a direct to do something against God. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll just use a, the one example that I, I shared actually on Wednesday. It's like I was talking to some guys. Okay, let's say you have a direct command, and it was sort of the example of the fact that if there is a health insurance thing, George, you had sent me that with respect to a drug or something that would allow for abortions. Okay? In that situation, is there is there a, a, a literally a direct command for them to take that drug? There is not. All I would share with you is that, so as you navigate through that, certainly pursuing what you need to pursue with that, but is not abortion legal? Okay, from a broader perspective, is it not legal? Okay, I'm not, but I'm not commanded to this, but I still submit to that. I'm just breaking, using it as an example, is that you could take a broad law which provides for the very same thing that this does within a health care plan itself. So what about a medical doctor? That to me is certainly part of the suffering <laughs> that we would have to, as believers, be subject to because it may cost me my job, it may cost me my livelihood, careers, or wherever because of that. And I think that from these biblical examples, literally, there in Daniel in 6, if you remember, is another similar command. There was this, again, this conspiracy was forming against Daniel himself where all these prayers and petitions that said that he was forbidden, right? That he could not pray to anyone except the king. And so there was, in this conspiracy, he was literally, as in his faithfulness, as willing to give up everything that he had in refusal for that. So you can, you can apply those, and I'm not to judge those anyway. I'm simply just giving you examples that really serve as we live in a very complex set of rules and guidelines, and how you navigate to those is that you've got to bring it down individually, yourself, as the command. And that's really where discernment comes sure. from, right? I mean, because take it to the lot, next logical tax dollars for a well, then your natural implications are, well, then I should yeah, it, 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 it's in, its, in its, its simplicity in one statement. You know, we may lawfully disobey a command when that authority commands us to do something that God forbids or forbids us to do something God commands. And so when you take that to a, a corporate level, that's a whole different discussion. And, and, and literally, I would throw the James passage in it. Pray for wisdom as leaders of organizations and things that really make decisions. I'm not to judge that. So even if you take it and bridge it back personally. That happened back then. It does not happen today. Not at all. But that's a great example. We do. Literally, that the taxes that we pay are literally going to support the very mandates that are evil in themselves, potentially. Is cruelty or even unjust suffering at the hand of civil authorities a legitimate basis for disobedience? This is the answer, follow that to your question. And the answer is, 
we have to be looking at it that we have, again, to that simple statement, is that we have an obligation to obey God and recognizing that it may cost us something. Right, and, and, and where, where the world creeps into our thinking on the other side of that grid is that we're going like, you know, well, you know, I could justify it because I want to maintain that status. Uh, I, I don't. I don't want to uh, call out something that is clearly an ethical, ethics issue in the workplace with my superiors doing something, let's say, because I'm the one who lose my job. In one way, I'm going to look at it as, as you can take Martin Luther. I mean, you can go back. I mean, did not Jesus literally confront those in authority? He did. But how did he do it okay. is the key. It's how he did it with the fullness of humility. Paul confronted those in authority, appealed to those in authority. Why primarily it is to call out, but always had the greater purposes of God. And, as I said last week, is that I can't find where Paul resisted arrest. He didn't resist those. within He was really submissive all the time. At the same time, he was speaking out. 1 Peter 2.13 gives no reason for civil disobedience, not because there are none, possibly to not allow the exception to become the rule. So, again, looking at this, this is just a thought, Okay. There, he gives no reason for civil disobedience. It doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. But like anything else, is that if you do it, it be, could become a pattern. And that thing, it's just something to consider more practically. I mean, when, when we go down the road of civil, what is in our heart? That's where God's trying to trap. Part is, you know, how do I push it behind? In that last uh, last point on reflection, requiring civil authorities to uphold the law, and in those, some of those passages, really, there are examples that hold the government. And I, I think one of my favorites is the Acts 16 passage, 1635. Uh, to 40. And in that, when Paul refused, and it's a, this is where he was beaten, <laughs> and he refused to allow the Roman officials to get off the hook. In other words, because they, they wanted to quietly, what, release him. Right. They wanted to release him after they had broken the law by illegally beating him. Right. <laughs> So he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't let it do it. And I think this is one of those examples where they should be held accountable. And we have a responsibility to also to call that out. Well, I tell you, um, I struggle sometimes because you, as you deal with the wrongs of, of uh, politicians and everything else, um, you know, I always write, you're accountable for what you know. In this situation here, it just gives us one example of that. So as we look at uh, those reflections on there, and I know I'm, I'm trusting that Mark is going to continue to build on some of these uh, little sidebar um, focuses on submission. But it was really for the purpose of I believe clearly that it is a it's very important to Peter, very important, and therefore it's very important to us. So as we continue on in First Peter, he transitions where in, it says. 
Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to the governors as those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. The reason for our submission is the first one clearly within that passage is saying is that it is the will of God. Peter has a lot to say about this topic. He has a lot to say that it is about the will of God. I mean, just take a look in your, your Bible there. Slide over to chapter 3, verse 7. Read it. Yes, chapter 3, verse 7. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives and an understanding. Over honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Okay. In this situation, we see here again this aspect of it is this is the will of God. Chapter 4, verse 2. The rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the God. Verse 19, John, you're on a roll. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Okay, those that are suffering according to God's will are to entrust their souls to, obviously, a faithful creator. Dave, to bridge the next one. Please. Verse 21. Mm-hmm. Another one to bridge, Mark chapter 3, verse 17. For it is better, if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Peter is, again, there is a lot to say about this. It is. The the reason for our submission, it is the very will of God. The second thing is that we see in that passage is to silence the ignorance. To silence the ignorance. Now, what is this? That was a question that we had in in sort of your opening discussions. What do you think ignorance means in this? And foolish. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's like one other place that we see this use of this word in, in the New Testament. It's in 1 Corinthians where Paul uses it with, for, really clearly within the context of those that have no knowledge of God. Um, what does Proverbs 1.7 say? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools, it says, despise wisdom instruction. Clearly, within the context of this, it is this ignorance, it's a lack of knowledge that they're referring to. So, when we talk about this, again, where he's saying, going back to the passage here, that for this is the way, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance, the lack of knowledge of foolish men. Their inability to, under, to know their inability to know, again, the will of God itself. This is a clear, uh, this places those that would be in the position of under, interpreting what submission means is clearly on that worldly part of that grid. The word is also has this meaning of this word of muzzling. <laughs> in the first, uh, first Timothy chapter 5, verse 18, um, this uses this word as one example. I want to read that. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it, it treads out the grain. This, this word of muzzling is the same word of literally 
having this context of literally being silenced. It's the muzzle, it's to gag that we would see. And it was used of Jesus, by Jesus to the Sadducees back in 20, Matthew 22. Matthew 22, verse 12. I'll read that. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Is the same context of that word. It means to muzzle. It is to silence, to gag. <clears throat> so the point across is that in a law-abiding way is that we are silencing those. So to silence ignorance. So despite what I, my example that I did by simply obeying the laws itself is I may not have silenced them, but by, as being a believer was that you were simply being subject to the law itself as opposed to like everybody else just going along. The reason for our submission is the will of God in the silence of ignorance. The attitude of our submission in verse 16. Peter writes in 16, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. The attitude of submission. It says to act as free men. And it may be translated as submit as free men. This is how we are to behave. We're to behave as free men. We're to act as those who are liberated and those who are emancipated as free men and women. Now, we are free because we have been redeemed. Now, let's just pause for a second, if we could. And what? any thoughts within the context of this use of this word of free? Because what you could see clearly that when we talk about our... Is it, is it talking about our freedom in Christ? Or is it talking about our freedom as citizens? What are your thoughts within the context of this passage? What do you think? It, this, is, this is one of those... I, I don't have the exact answer in this thing, but I'm an, I could support exactly what, in each case, the exa- examples you have here. Because within the context of First Peter, he is talking about chapter 1, which is ultimately our the fullness of our freedom that we have in Christ. Okay? Literally, from that, even from the government standpoint, now, within the context of this little passage in 13 to 17, I could draw a conclusion that it's relating to my citizenship itself and the freedoms that we have. It it could could work both ways in itself. But, as a result of that, is that how do we act? And within the context of this, what Peter is saying that is that whether you are looking at it from the, the freedoms that we have in Christ is that you would not use those in such a way as a vice. In other words, you would not leverage it just out in wrongly even, even within our citizenship that we have. Give me an, what are your thoughts about Give me an example where that might be taken wrongly. The, the idea that I'm getting at is, is that, in other words, when we act, we're called to act as free men, and so you're not going to claim my freedom in Christ in a way that's, that's like it's going to put this covering over my sin. The acts of, in other words, the act itself. To say, well, you know, this is what I'm doing. Well, I, I, I think Paul... He's going to forgive me anyway. 
Right. It's, it's, it's Paul's answer. You know, should, should we sin? Should we sin that grace abound? Right. So I just didn't want you to miss the context of that, is that ultimately, in 1 Peter 2, that Christ left us an example. And when you look at verse 23, looking ahead, Mark, sorry, but just kind of looking ahead, <laughs> who, here he is, who when he was reviled did not revile in return, when he suffered he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who is the him? It is Christ. He sets that perfect example for us and how he went about doing that as this example. Always mindful that literally Jesus, he was murdered by the coming together of two governments, that of the Roman authority and that of Jewish authority itself. Clearly points to the sovereignty of God in this. We are free, and it gets back to how Paul addressed this back in chapter 1, about the freedom, the redemption that we have in Christ, and that's the focus of that freedom. The attitude of submission. The paradox is, based on what we just then said, is that we are free, yet we're in bondage. We're free, yet in bondage. Absolutely. It's uh, what Romans, uh, what is it, Romans six twenty two is the passage. That's a great example of that. To what freedom is Peter referring to then in verse 16? We talked about this, our freedom in Christ and our freedom in citizenship. And I've simply, there's no comments here other than these are verses that help us to go back to those two to support that it really references both in the context of these passages. And to our last verse, as free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. The four direct statements are honor, love, fear God, and honor the king. We're honoring, the, Peter gives us these directives to say we, we honor everyone, love the brethren, fear God, honor the king. Peter is teaching that just as we are to submit to those over us, by honoring them, we must submit to those under us with the same outlook. This call for us to to honor everyone. Everyone is created in God's image and therefore is worthy of honor and respect. Romans 12.10 says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. In this case, it's this whole call for us to love the brethren. In 1 Peter 1.17, he said, again, this fearing of God. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then he brings us full circle at the end of that in verse 17. It ties it back to 13 where he says, again, for us to honor the king. And that, I'll bridge it back to what we saw in chapter 1 for the very purpose of us proclaiming the excellencies of him and being darkness and light. When we, what do we honor in all men similar in the way we honor the king? In Romans 13, the king is divinely appointed by God. That, remember, we talked about this. The, the sovereignty of God and his appointment of those kings, those leaders. And so therefore we honor the second one is an example is in Genesis 1.26 where it says all men are created by God. Literally, these leaders, these kings, these governors. In Psalm 8, 
3 to 5, it, is, it speaks of creation and that it's treated as God's creatures. And then finally, Galatians 6.10 is the brotherhood of believers is to be loved. I want to close with that passage. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to those who are the household of faith. The king is to receive honor as the one that God has ultimately appointed in authority over men. Think of it from the standpoint of again, the hierarchy within the leadership. And so therefore, this what Peter is saying is that in this case, it would be focusing to Nero, but yet for us even, it is this honoring of that who is the head man, that we might say. And so therefore, there's not necessarily a limitation in the honoring. He's never to be worshipped like God. He is to be honored. So Peter distinguishes between the honor of the king that is given and ultimately the fear and reverence that God alone is to receive from you and I. As always, unto the Lord. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we thank You for Your Word. Father, we thank You for your, um, the great privilege that we have. And we're so mindful of it is so big. And yet we just trust You in that sovereignty. Lord, You've placed us here and now for as Your believers and children for the very purpose of a calling of being subject to You. Lord, we just worship You that way. And I pray that even from this uh, this, this text that we've studied over the weeks, Father, we would see the, the importance of our civil responsibilities in this country you've placed us here in Bartlett. And Father, that as always, we would trust you through all. And that, Father, you would pray that our hearts would be examined, even that you would check our motives. And Father, that it, we truly would be subject as you have given us in the, the great examples in scriptures. So I thank you for, the, again, your your the time that we have to be able to open Your Word. I pray as always that, Father, Your Spirit will give us wisdom and guidance as we navigate, Father, in this country. And as always, that uh, we would be mindful of the greater purpose, that we would be servants uh, for You and bond slaves. So we just give You thanks and all praise for this time that we've had in Christ's name. Amen.